You're listening to episode one of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, be human. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. Sharon, we ended last season with talking a bit about Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think there's a lot more to, to explore there than we had time to do in the last podcast. So um, I'd like to start off this season by having having a deeper conversation about what is in that book and what are some of the criticisms of it right, and, right. and why we're talking about it at all, why we think it's important to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I know that one of the issues is that she is a person who has gotten a lot of breaks in her life mm-hmm. um I, it always makes me think of the the old um story about george bush being you know born on third base and thinking he hit a home run you know that, yes <laughs> you yes. know there, there are some of us who kind of get those kinds of breaks yes um i think cheryl from her story it seems to me that she worked a lot harder than that uh she came from a well-off family, but mm-hmm. not necessarily a wealthy family. Right. And, um, you know, she went to a public school. She didn't go to a private school. And she was smart. And she got into Harvard, and that does ease the skids some. Right. Um, so, so, yes, she had privilege. I don't... And she's the first one to admit that. Right, right. I mean, I think she... I found that very refreshing. I did, too. As I did, too. she did that so much. That she at least, you know, owned that and right. said, right, not everybody gets the kind of breaks I, I get. So, right. so she, wasn't, she wasn't oblivious to that, right. unlike George Bush. Right. <laughs> appeared to be yeah. oblivious. Um, well, and I think the other, the other thing is, I, in my reading of the book, which... You know, it, it, I really enjoyed it, and um, I didn't start reading it until after you brought it to my attention. But uh, as I was reading it, I heard her say over and over and over again, I know every woman doesn't want to get to the leadership level that I'm at. We need more women there, but not that's not going to be the path for every woman. That there are a lot of women who are have a, more challenges or different kind of challenges than I've had, mm-hmm. um, and that the things and that she knows that some of her advice is going to be more difficult for some women to implement because of their constraints, not necessarily because of who they are as a person, but because of the st- constraints that they're working under, than it has been for her. Right. And so I I wonder about the people who have made that criticism of the book if they really if they really read it, or if yeah if yeah. they're just being reactive right and, and in fact um, you know I think she calls for and and I think some of the more sophisticated comments about her book call for 
not only women themselves, in essence, to the ones who want to, you know, to lean in, but for businesses to lean in by being more flexible, by, by, you know, giving up some of the old ideas about how people should work. Um, so, so I, I don't think that it's simply a matter of her saying, uh, it's, it's all up to the women to do the work. She's right. saying, if we all recognize that we're underutilizing a part of the population with skills and, and mm. contributions that they can make, there's the part the women have to do, there's the part the organizations have to do, and unless And there's both... the part society has to do. Yeah. Well, right, yeah. right, right. And I, right. I meant, I meant yes. the society and the organizations yeah. right. kind of in one camp, but they're really not. They're not. They're yeah. really not. You're, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, but, but that unless, unless that whole system moves, right. then we're still not going to be where we could right. be. Um, and that's, that's what she's... Right. Um, she's really talking about and the place that uh, in that message that resonates for me is i know in my own life the only place i have leverage is around my own behavior right and and in some ways i feel like saying well the system has to change turns women into victims as opposed to active actors and active influencers of what's going on in their own lives. And I, for one, don't want to see myself or any other woman as a victim. Right. Um, I want us to be able to lean in and step up and do the things that we can do to help make that shift. Because one of the things, when we've talked a lot in these podcasts about systems and system thinking and what does it mean to be a part of a whole system. And one of the things we know is that if any part of the system really begins to change, it shifts the whole system. Right. And um, so that's a thing we can do, all women can do, is just the little bits or big bits or whatever is they have in their power that to make the shift they can make in their own lives, and that will contribute to the larger shift for everyone. Right. So, but but let's... Let's think about what that would look like for an individual if they were trying to do that and they were still part of an organization. So, you know, Cheryl Sandberg can trek up across the parking lot. You know, we yeah. talked about this last year um, when she's pregnant and get there and, you know, get to be so exhausted that she realizes they need pregnancy parking and she can march in and say to her her boss, who happens to run the company, we need pregnancy parking. Yeah. For the individual woman at an organization level who's choosing to stay in rather than opt out, which many women do, uh, and understandably for many of them, they come to a place where they feel like, that's the best choice for them, fine. But for those that stay, how can they, without risk, um, 
or without a let's see how can I put that without yeah, I'm a, not sure it's without it, right risk. it's not without risk nothing but without, in life is risk free really right exactly <laughs> going out the front door in the day is not risk free well staying in bed can be not risk free either <laughs> yeah that's um, true but right there's always bed sores right we, well, that's right but we have fantasies that if right. we just stayed in bed it would be yeah, right. it would be risk free right. um, I myself had one of those this morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking I could just stay in bed and and keep a patch on my oh, eye, you know, right, as I have right. this eye infection. But then I thought, no, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I digress. So, yeah. so let's say with a reasonable level of risk, right. what are the kinds of things someone can do from within right. an organization um, that that would begin to shift that kind of pattern? Well, I think I think one thing, one maybe easier thing to do is being selective about the organizations we go into to begin with. Mm. I mean, we there are some choice points okay. about what is this culture like for women? What what you know, what are my opportunities going to be here? Um, you know, is this an organization that I even want to support or be a part of? Um, in terms of how inclusive they are or what the career path for a woman like me might be. Some organizations are much friendly, I'm putting air quotes around this, right, right. friendlier right. than others. Of course. And, and if, if women were to vote with their feet about who they are willing to bring their skills and talents to, and who they are not, that makes a difference already. So even before joining an organization and then having to figure out how to do what you want to do within it, there is that first choice about what organizations do we even do we even pick to, to support with our with our skills and talents. That's an interesting thought. And I think that's a big thing. And I think another big point is that Cheryl's book doesn't just talk about what women can do, but she also talks about what men can do to close this gap. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's many different individuals can contribute to making this shift. Right. Um, I love the story because I know I've experienced it, and I, I'm pretty sure you have too. We've shared enough about that, of sitting around a table... Staying at the table, as Sharon says, as Cheryl says, um, staying at the table, sitting there, offering a comment, an idea, a, a plan of action, having the conversation go right on by it, and then a few minutes later, one of the men at the table uh-huh. offers the exact same right. thing, and all of a sudden, it's a great idea. Right. And... And Cheryl tells a great story about um, a CEO with his executive team experiencing that and noticing and saying, wait a minute. Right. So-and-so said it first. Exactly. It was her idea. Right. And let's acknowledge her for that. And I think those kinds of things are huge. Mm-hmm. Because there is, and, and I don't think that the... I actually I don't think that the men who 
a few minutes later offer the same idea. I don't think there's anything malicious in that. They've been socialized into it just as much as everybody oh, else. Oh, sure. I think that's that's yeah. primarily, you know, really just unconscious yeah. behavior yeah. that it, it, it just never even dawned on them. Right. Yeah. Right. And so having leaders, male and female leaders, who are able to see that dynamic and just name it. Yeah. Not in a blaming way. Yeah, just, just pointing pointing just it out. Pointing out this is what's happening. Yeah. Is a way of shifting that. I know for myself, uh a number of years ago, we we um had the opportunity to work with um uh, a very enlightened gentleman named David Wagner. Mm-hmm. And he was very much involved in um a lot of diversity issues yes, around yes, men and yes. women. And I remember how one time that he was saying, I asked him, I said, well, what, you know, I'm, I'm a, a member of a culture that I don't really understand. You know, I can learn about Japanese culture or whatever, there are books written. I don't understand what American culture is. It's the, it's the, the soup, the you, soup right, I swim, you swim in. in. Mm-hmm. I can't see it. I don't know it. What are some indicators? What are some behaviors that happen in my culture and he said well one of the things is is that women are are um trained <laughs> or acculturated to make sure that the men the important men in their lives get airtime get to speak and i was shocked mm-hmm, about that mm-hmm. and then i started watching mm-hmm. in meetings i mm-hmm, went to mm-hmm how it would come up in me, the desire to say, to make sure that this man or that man got his, his word in, you know, I would, I would engineer it, (laughs) you know? And so I, once I became aware of it and saw a lot of other women doing it, I was able to stop doing that because I, I was conscious of it when, when the, the opportunity for it, arose, I was conscious that Mm -hmm, that happened. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I made sure that I was engineering opportunities for myself to speak and for other women to speak as often as I was doing that Mm -hmm. for any man in the room. Mm -hmm. It's a small thing. Mm -hmm. I can, and I do that in any number of meetings, Mm -hmm. um, volunteer groups that I'm in, whenever I see that dynamic arising, I I do something about it. And I think it's those kinds of things. It's women finding those kinds of small things that they can do that will really, in the end, make a difference. It's not marching into your boss's... It's not the risky behavior of marching into your boss's office and saying, I've been done wrong and you have to... You know, I've been harassed or whatever. That can have really far-ranging impact on a person's career. I mean, we just have to accept that. But there are much smaller things that women can do, like supporting each other, making sure other women... And I know you did a whole... Your whole dissertation was on how women support each other. Well, yeah, I mean, what you were talking about was reminding me of of, um, one of the things I, I... discovered in doing that that research um 
the women who were the most likely to become advocates for other women in their organization and to support them, be less competitive, all those, yeah. all those good things, were women who'd had an opportunity to be outside of this culture that they live in yeah. for some period of time. And being outside the culture, whether it was, you know, being an exchange student or going to a finishing school in Switzerland or what, whatever people did, right. um, gave them a chance to see that social role mm -hmm. is, is um, a construct that uh, it's not a chair, it's not, it's not a thing, it's, it's a construct that we build right. and it changes from culture to culture. Right. So that when they came back, they were much more likely to question, why do we do this or why do we behave this way? And they saw that culture and role were more malleable than they thought. And right. they were therefore more willing right. to step up and to say, hmm, if I do this, then it'll have that effect or could have right. that effect. I mean, it was very, very interesting to me that it, it really spoke to um, a different kind of, if you will, protest and a different kind of um, influence strategy than I might have thought was going to bring about results before that. Right. So that it, it is much more something that people can engage with at a more individual level. Um, you know, I, I, it also, I was reminded as you were speaking of, um, something I read about in, uh, some of the, when you were talking about women choosing organizations right. that are better places to work. Right. Um, I was reminded of uh, one of the, people that was that was writing about some of the criticism talked about women selecting women and men actually looking for environments that are using what's called a results only framework right which means that management doesn't care how you get your work done where you get your work done right. or when you get your work done the only thing you are measured on is results right and when you think about that that is such a really radical idea and so um, more leveling the playing field yeah. because it allows people to work in a much more organic kind of way, flexible. That more, more flexible, flexible kind of way. you yeah. know, that fits your lifestyle, your, the, your own individual rhythms. Um, I mean, I can remember when I worked in corporate America and used to dream about working for an employer who got why a three o'clock nap in the afternoon for 15 minutes would have been the absolute key to productivity for me. For me. I, I can't speak for anyone else. But if I have a day where I can take a 15-minute nap at three o'clock and I don't even have to look at my watch to know it's three o'clock. Right. Or maybe it's 310, but we're yeah. pretty close. Yeah. I need a nap. Yeah. It and it doesn't I could have had 10 hours of sleep it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But if I've had 6 hours of sleep which is or 7 which is more common 
that 15 minutes is golden. Yeah. And then I'm good for five or six more hours. Yeah. Without it, I mean, I'm toast right. by <laughs> like 4.30. Right. So, it, you know, that kind of flexibility to me, is I couldn't even put a price tag on right. it. Right. Because right. it isn't even, a, you know, it's not about money. It's about, it's about, right. I, I mean, I could make a lot less money. And if somebody was willing to offer right. me that opportunity, because right. I can be my better self, right? you know, and produce better work right. and all of those things. Right. So um, I love that idea. I don't know how many people are really doing it. Right. But. Well, and it, and it. To some degree is, I mean, the whole, uh, to bring in another woman leader, Marissa Mayer, who at Yahoo is saying, I want you to show up. I want you to come. We need a collaborative culture. I need people to be working together. Um, You know, in some ways flies in the face of that. But in other ways, those two could coexist quite nicely. If I need you to collaborate with. Yeah. Then you and I can agree on when we're going to work together for this particular project. For, you know, whether it's all the time, part of the time, right. but we can work that out together. But if I don't need that person or that person, right. why do they all have to be in the office at the same time? Right. Or why do they all have to be in the same place at the same time as we right. are? Right. If our work, at least at this stage, doesn't touch their work, so her saying everybody has to show up. Right. So that we can be collaborative, to me is a. I shouldn't be criticizing her since I don't know what she really said. But if she put those things together in the way you just reported, I'd say she's doing a bad job of setting conditions because they don't necessarily need to right. be to coexist. Right. It it's not targeted enough. It's right. not thoughtful enough. It's just kind of a sounds like a more knee-jerk reaction to, oh, collaboration means face-to-face. That means we, everybody yeah. has to do it all the time. Baloney. Um, That's kind of an easy way out, isn't it? Well, yes and no. And I think it depends on the nature of the work. And mm-hmm. it depends, I mean, it depends on a lot of things. But I guess what we're saying is that that it takes a more thoughtful approach than just deciding one thing or the other thing. Right. It really, you know, everybody can work wherever they want to work, you know, leads to highly distributed dispersed teams that, you know, have communication breakdowns because of missed handoffs, stuff like that. Right. Could. Right. Could. Right. Um, it, It depends on the nature of the work. Right. And, and so, you know, looking at that more carefully and saying, for this kind of work, we need, we need to figure out, you as a team of people need to figure out right. what you're going to do to make sure that you're not missing handoffs and missing communication and stuff right. like that by being too dis- disconnected from each other. Well, you, know, you and so, I have to do the same thing. That's right. And there have been times when we didn't do that thoughtfully enough, and we do start to get, you yeah. know, um, going sideways. Right. But when that happens, we talk, and right. then we correct. But for work where we need to be working together, 
we figure out where and when and how, and we make sure that that happens. So, I mean, I think we live that model every day. Now, is it harder if you have a bigger organization? You bet. Of course. Yeah. But does that mean that it can't be figured out? I don't think so. I think it's a... I think it's a concept right. rather than a, you know, you follow these procedures. Right, right. And and I think you're right. I, the it's it's an interesting new model. The whole results, you know, measuring results, not activity. Right. Which, well, that goes back right, goes thirty back years. A long way, right. right? You know, look at it. Look at results and not activity. And let people organize around creating results and right. not organize themselves around activity. Right. Which is an interesting tangent that we've gotten to off of <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Lead in. So um, maybe, maybe we've said most of what we need to say about, uh, about Lean In. I, I wanted to, um, uh, there's a, a quote. Uh, from the book that I particularly mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and and it's in the very last chapter of her book, and she says, "We should expect professional behavior and even kindness from everyone." Mm-hmm. And that then there is a lot of emphasis in the last chapter of her book on. You know, what is it to be human, and how do we interact with each other in a way that creates results, but that is kinder? And and some people might say that's a more feminine way of looking at things. I'm fine with that. I think that in we have a culture right now, a business culture, a a larger social culture that has so much uh, rigidity around scarcity and fearfulness and a a lot of... Being human. Well, and a lot of the negative parts of being human. Mm -hmm. And we're not very much focusing on the positive parts of being human, Mm -hmm. like how we are kind to each other. Right. And... um, so, you know, as, as we move off of this topic um, of Lean In, I, I just wanted to note that that is one of the strong messages in this book, mm-hmm. is, is that we can, we can get better, all of us, men, women, everybody can get better at how we interact with each other at work. That opens up possibilities and potential for everyone. Mhm mhm and um and that's important to me and that that message is very important to me. Yeah and and I I I agree with you that I think her sense of um compassion and yeah. kindness um shows up over and over and over again in the book and I think in that way right. it's um it's a very positive role model and message yeah. that she's that she's offering because so often uh young women in particular are counseled you know if you want to make it in corporate america you got to um you know 
um, be you kind of got to toughen up and you know right. you have to be careful you never right. are too emotional and you don't ever shed a tear and whatever and I remember I don't I don't recall the specifics of the story but I remember yeah. her talking about crying in public right. at a at some kind of big employee meeting and I thought oh Cheryl you're my girl because <laughs> I used to live in absolute absolute abject terror yeah. that I would cry like that in public because I am such a crier. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry. I mean, that's, I, I just do. And, you know, I got told that was right. not okay. Right. And even though I said, why not? Why yeah. is that not okay? And I mean, right. the man who said that couldn't answer. And I knew that the answer was because it makes me feeling comfortable. Right, exactly. But I don't know what to do. Uh, I still got the message that I couldn't do that. And, right. you know, um, occasionally I actually do that. But I'm old enough now that I don't give a damn whether yeah. it makes people uncomfortable, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I liked that she was not advocating wearing a mask or right. being, being, you know... Um, not a real person, right. um, and and bringing your whole self, but in a business-like right. way. And I think that that is a very reasonable stance for everyone, yeah. for men and women. Yeah. Um, I mean, if a man has just lost a parent or whatever, I mean, if he looks upset at work, that's okay. He ought to look upset. Right. You know? Right. Um, so... I, I, I like that, that advocating right. of being human, and I think, right. you know, that's something that we would all do right. well to support um, right. wherever we can. Well, so I think we recommend this book. If people are interested in... For younger women. For younger women, people who are interested in how working relationships get constructed, what they can do to make their own shifts... Um, Cheryl also has set up um, a website, uh, www.leanin.org, yeah. for people to exchange their stories yeah. and come and do more. So even if you don't have time to read the book, you might go check out that website uh -huh. to um, to see what's going on. And and I just I hope everybody continues this conversation. Well, I do too. I mean, I think she's done a great service uh, because. And the reason I said younger women, um, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that explicitly. Although I kept thinking as I was reading it, well, I know this. I know this. I mean, I've experienced that. Okay. You know, there wasn't a lot new there. But what I realized when I was reading some of the criticism was for younger women who haven't had a lifetime of seeing all of this stuff over and over again, just kind of get all those patterns that are like second nature now to you and right. I and right. women like us of a certain age. Right. I always wanted to know what that meant. Now I'm there, I know. <laughs> um, but, but for younger women who haven't kind of had that opportunity to put that together, I think this would be a real eye-opener. And well, for and those so who don't, in right. her, her own stories, right. I love how many stories of her own life she shares. Right. So right, yeah. and and I think for women who think that there really aren't so many frontiers yet left to cross, 
it's it could be eye opening. Right. So I, I think I think in that sense for women, let's say excuse me, under forty, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a really good read. For mm-hmm. people like us I think you right. could read the Harvard Business Review article, <laughs> which was in the, let's yeah. see, the um, April yeah. um, issue, and, and, and get the gist of it, although you'd miss the richness of her stories. Yeah. I really loved her stories. I thought yeah. it was really readable right. in that way, because there was so she shared so much of her right. own life in it. Yeah. So you and I are old enough to remember when Siskel and Ebert were around. Right. Remember when they did <laughs> yeah. thumbs up? Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. We give this one thumbs up. Yeah. And so we'd like to know um, what you thought of this book, if you've read it, um, how it resonated for you or where it really clanged. And, um, and we're happy to continue this conversation with our listeners. Please leave a comment on our blog or email us, info at futureworksconsulting.com. This has been episode one of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.